So, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says to the Colossians, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This morning, I want to talk to you. The talk is called Opportunity Knocks, and I want to begin with a story. A long time ago, in a far-off place, there was a prophet called Elisha and a king called Aram. Aram was at war with the king of Israel, and he found out that somehow Elisha knew his secret battle plans and had been giving the king of Israel a heads up so that they could escape each time. And it was happening over and over and over again. And King Aram was getting so mad with Elisha that he decided to send a huge army through the night to the city of Dothan where Elisha and his servant were staying to capture him. So, no whispering in the front row. <laughs> so when Elisha and his servant woke up the next morning, they went outside they were surrounded. Everywhere they looked, there was this vast army surrounding them. And Elisha's servant cried out, Oh no! Maybe he said something different, but in my mind, he's saying, Oh no! What are we going to do? We're doomed! And uh, they probably it looked like that way. But Elisha said to his servant, Hey, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, it doesn't quite say this, but I imagine at that point, Elisha's servant going, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What are you talking about, Elisha? It's just you and me, buddy. What do you mean, you crazy bald man? Okay, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but it does say he's bald. That's factually true. And here's what happens. Elisha's first response when faced with this vast army is to pray, which is brilliant. Because we talk often, don't we, about prayer being our first response, not our last resort. But it's maybe not the kind of prayer we expect. It's not a prayer asking God to wipe out the army and to rescue them. It's a prayer asking God to reveal to his servant what's really going on in the situation. He says, open my servant's eyes, Lord, that he may see. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the Lord did open the servant's eyes. And this time when he looked, as he looked out across the hills, he saw um, horses and chariots of fire and a vast army outnumbering King Aaron's army. That was the reality of his situation. You see, it's only when the servant's eyes were opened that he was able to see what was really going on. He was able to see how God was working away behind the scenes. And it was only when his eyes were opened that he was then able to join in with what God was wanting to do in that situation. His spiritual eyes had been opened. Later on in the Bible, John chapter 4, Jesus is out for a walk with his disciples. And he says to them, guys, look around. He says, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And he's saying to them, don't miss what's right in front of you. Open your eyes to see that God is moving and he's working and he's drawing people to himself. And he wants you to be part of that. 
He wants you to be bringing in the harvest. So keep your eyes open to what God's doing on this earth. And I think that's exactly what Paul's calling us to do um, here in this passage. He's talking about devoting ourselves, so giving of our time and our energy in pursuit of a kind of prayer that is watchful. You know, you can watch something. Um, you can't watch something, sorry, with your eyes shut. It's impossible. And so when he writes to the Ephesians about the same kind of thing, he says he's, t- he's talking about prayer that's alert, fully engaged, awake, aware of what's going on around about us. And it's like he's saying to us that we need to be people who pray with our eyes wide open. People who pray with our eyes wide open. We need to be looking around, asking God, what are you doing? And then we need to join in with whatever it is he's doing. And when we open our spiritual eyes, we begin to see opportunities everywhere, all around us, to join in with the plans and purposes of God on the earth. So I want to speak to you this morning about opportunity. Everyone say opportunity. Brilliant. You guys are great. So in verse 5, Paul tells us, he says, make the most of every opportunity. And he literally means seize the moment. Seize the moment. And the root meaning of the word is a marketplace term that literally means to purchase completely, to buy up or to buy out before it runs out and you miss out. I don't know if you remember, in 1996, there was a toy that topped every child's Christmas, Christmas wish list. Does anyone know what it is? Furby, close, but not quite. No, Tomic, no. These are all good answers. No, I'll tell you. He's right here. Because I have one. Because I was a child in 1996. (laughs) This is Tickle Me Elmo. You squeeze him and he giggles. (laughs) Mark has a story to tell about Tickle me Elmo here and how he managed to to get hold of him. In 1996, the world went crazy for Tickle Me Elmo. It was Elmo mania. It sold out so fast you couldn't get it anywhere. People were buying them in bulk and reselling them. In some instances, one sold for $1,700. What do you think about that, Elmo? In Chicago, two women were arrested for fighting over the last Elmo in the store. In Canada, a Walmart employee was trampled by 300 people when they saw he had a box of Elmos. He ended up with a cracked rib and concussion. And remember, (laughs) he's so special. I know. eBay. I can't, so that's, he's old, and he's still, he's not had a battery replacement. He's worth every penny. There you go. You can sit there. What about Buzz Lightyear? Do you remember the year of the Buzz Lightyear shortage? People, you don't remember. It's all right. It was stressful. Christmas Eve, parents were panicking. They were queuing up at 4 a.m. in the morning just to get a Buzz Lightyear so that they didn't have to bear the pain of watching their darling child burst into tears when they opened up and they had a woody. And last year, it goes on. This is pie face. Has anyone ever heard of it? It's like Russian roulette with whipped cream. 
Last year, it sold out across the globe so fast that there were none available to buy in the weeks leading up to Christmas. One Scottish man tweeted, I'll try and do my best Scottish accent, although I am Scottish, but... <laughs> See, trying to get this beep pie face game. It's like trying to get a golden ticket for old Willy Wonka's beep chocolate factory. It was crazy. There just was none left in the shops. People were missing out on their opportunities, but I'm feeling pretty pleased with myself. Because my eyes were open, I was watching, and I seized my opportunity. Because in September last year, before anyone else was even thinking of Christmas, I googled top toy for Christmas 2015. Found out it was pie face, bought it right there and then, and before my opportunity was gone, I seized the chance, and I have pie face. And we played it once. <laughs> it's rubbish. Uh, it's amazing what... Uh, how viral things can make something fly off the shelves. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> when Paul talks about opportunity here in this passage, we kind of lose the urgency of it in the translation of it. Um, he's saying, make the most of every opportunity. There's so much urgency in what he's saying. He says, when you have the chance to talk about Jesus, take the chance. Don't let it pass you by. When you get the chance, tell someone your story. When you get the chance, do something wonderful for someone. When you get the chance, be encouraging to someone. This is how we're supposed to live lives um, around people who don't, know you yet, who don't yet know Jesus. Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards your non-Christian friends and family. Bring Jesus into their lives in all sorts of ways, whenever you can. Do it with your words. Do it with your actions. Do it with your attitudes. Grab the moments of opportunity with both hands and don't let them pass you by. This is what he's saying. This is critical. It's urgent. Don't let the moment pass. I think Paul is also teaching us something really significant here about opportunities. And it's that making the most of every opportunity begins with prayer. And there's three prayers in this passage that Paul asks the Colossians to pray for him. And I, I think the same three prayers should be our three prayers if we really want to make the most of every opportunity. And I have a catchy title for them. You can write this down. You're going to love this. Hold on. Oh, did it come up already? It's too good. Prayers to pray to seize the day. I'll tweet right there. All right, three prayers to help us seize the day. Number one. We need to pray for open doors. That's what Paul asks the Colossians to pray for him. I honestly think that God's got door upon door upon door upon door ready to be flung wide open if we'd only ask. I think that when we ask, he'll do it. And I think if you pray this prayer, Lord, give me opportunities to speak to people about the hope I have in you. Then you'll find yourself in situations where you can do just that. But we need to be looking up. We need to be praying with our eyes wide open to see those doors. And some doors are obvious, where people ask you directly about your faith. Some doors are not, and they take a bit of searching out. Some doors are surprises. Some doors are costly. Some doors are hard to endure. I think about Paul here. He's in prison, and he's asking the Colossians to give him open doors to speak to his jailers. Even in his worst circumstances, 
He's got his eyes open to what God's doing. He's got his eyes, he's got his um, heart in tune with God, knowing that even in this circumstance, God is drawing people to him and needs to use us to make it happen. Some doors you'll never see again. Some doors become lifelong friends. Some doors might come at completely inconvenient times. Um, on on when did this one on Wednesday, um, I was there's this lady that we've been kind of catching each other's eyes the past few weeks. We've realised that our sons are in the same school, and they they're great friends. They are really cheeky together, and so it's that kind of gradual. You know when you you first acknowledge that there's little like smiles and highs, and then the next week it's like hi, how are you? And then the next week, and then this week we were in the middle of dressing the boys. It was horrible. It was all hot in the room, and Judah was not sitting still, and neither was her little boy. And she's like, so, do you work? I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity. I mean, I have an easy door. To tell people that I'm a pastor is such an easy door. And I was thinking, and I said, yes. And um, and she's like, what do you do? What did you? No, she didn't say, what do you do? She said, what did you do today? And it just so happened that I had been doing the voice, recording the voiceover with someone for the City Women video. So I said, um, I, I was recording a video. I was like, and that was it. The moment was gone. We had to leave. The boys had to, I don't know, get into the pool or whatever. And she went into the swimming pool to view, and I stayed out because it's too hot in there for me. Anyway, and I was, afterwards I was like, oh, why did I say that? But for me, it was just an inopportune time, and I didn't take it. So some doors come at uh, just the wrong time. Some doors are interruptions. What I love about Jesus is that, that he let people walk through that door all the time. Often he'd be on his way somewhere and get stopped by several people along the way, but he never gave the impression that they were intruding on a very busy night. He had time to stop, he had time to talk, and he had time to listen. He was interruptible. He saw interruptions as stepping stones, not as stumbling blocks. For him, interruptions were opportunities. And I wonder today, how interruptible are we? How interruptible are we? We need to be watchful to see which doors God opens for us. The second prayer is for boldness to proclaim. In other words, Lord, Give us the courage when the doors do open that we'll also open our mouths. And this prayer is essential, isn't it? Because this is where most of us, if we're honest, find reasons to shut the door again. I don't know what to say. What if I say something wrong? I'm a brand new Christian. They won't listen to me. I'm not even actually sure what my faith is all about and so on. And what we do is we disqualify ourselves. And I wonder how many times fear has closed the open door. And afterwards we kick ourselves for not speaking up, just like I did. And I think we've all been there at some point. But do you know what? At City Church Kingswells this morning, especially as a new, young, growing church family who believe wholeheartedly in the good news of the gospel, that God this morning wants to do something in us. He wants to pour out new courage. 
new boldness. He wants to give us a new sense of urgency to tell people about Jesus and about what he's done for us. And I just pray, Lord, for each one of us here for a greater revelation of Jesus in our own lives um, so that it propels us through these doors and puts fire in our belly to tell people um, about Jesus and to proclaim his name. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I love that. No matter how we do it or where and when, when the gospel is proclaimed, God's power goes out. Seeds are planted. And sometimes it yields fruit quickly, right there and then. But sometimes it lies dormant until the right conditions are there. But it never fails. God's word never fails. And no opportunity is ever wasted. I wonder if some of you are still not convinced that you're able or qualified to speak about Jesus. But I'd like to tell you a story of a woman who met Jesus and whose life was changed as a result. Does that sound good? Everyone awake? Watchful? Eyes open? Good. This lady, she met Jesus when she came to draw water from the well. And he was there, and he asked her for a drink. And they got chatting um, about all sorts of things. But in particular, some deeply personal matters that were going on in her life. Something happened in that meeting. After her encounter with Jesus, she was obviously changed, which is what happens when people meet Jesus, right? Um, But there was something about her encounter with Jesus that compelled her to go straight back to her town to tell everyone, and then to invite them to come and meet him. Now, this woman was a woman with a bad reputation in that town. She wasn't respected. She'd had five husbands, and she was now living with her sixth um, man. She probably felt shame. She probably wouldn't want to have gone and you know, been in such a public place. She probably would have rather been under the radar, avoiding any attention. And actually, because she was a woman, um, her testimony, her story, would not really have been listened to anyway. But despite all that, she went back and she told her story. And people listened. She told her story and people listened. She invited and people came. And the Bible says, many of the people in that town believed in Jesus that day because of her testimony. And I imagine she felt completely unqualified. She didn't have a degree in theology. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't a small group leader. She hadn't been a Christian for more than five minutes, but she had encountered Jesus and his grace and his love, and there was no denying that that encounter changed her. And for us, as people see changes in us, As followers of Jesus, they become curious. They want to know more. And we need to use these opportunities to introduce them to Jesus. We can't let these opportunities pass us by. And so I want to say to you this morning, when it comes to boldly um, speaking about Jesus, just tell your story. Tell your story. Your story is full of grace. It's full of love. Tell people what a difference he's made to your life since you started following him. And then invite them to come and see for themselves.
Let God do the rest. Just tell your story. And the third prayer is that our message is clear. The message says it like this. Pray that every time we open our mouths, we'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. We have to make sure it's not complicated. It's not difficult to work out. There's not a um, tick box to complete. And we also, Paul's saying we don't want to give mixed signals. Our message has to be clear. It has to line up with our lives. What we're saying has to line up with what we're doing. And that's why Paul says, be wise in the way you act and let your conversation always be filled with grace. When we tell others about Jesus, it's really important to be gracious in what we say. No matter how passionate we are, no matter how much we believe in what we're saying, no matter how much sense it makes to us, we lose all effectiveness if we're not respectful, gracious, courteous. And Paul says as well, we don't need to be dull. He said, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Now, I'm not a cook, as most of you are aware, and I'm always complaining about salt levels in the food. <laughs> but my husband here assures me that when salt is used well, it is the perfect accompaniment to the food. Salt makes a meal interesting, stimulating. It brings out the flavors. It has zest. It is lively. One translation says there is zest. This is how Paul is telling us to use our words. We've not to be dull. We have to be engaging, exciting, full of zest, lively, stimulating. When we speak to people, we should be bringing out the flavors of their lives. We should be bringing out who they are in Christ. We should be encouraging them and so on. We need to be have conversation that is seasoned with salt. So there's the three prayers. And you know what? This morning, I think God is looking for people who will pray these kind of prayers. He's looking for people who will pray these kind of prayers, who will pray for open doors, who will pray for boldness to speak, and who will pray for their message to be clear. And he's looking for people to wake up each morning and say, Lord, what are you going to do today? And I want to be part of it. He's looking for people. And I say that we need to be those kind of people in City Church King's Wells in order to bring the people that are not yet in church, knowing Jesus, into church and having a relationship with Jesus. We need to get some boldness about us. You say, Lord, give me opportunities to talk about you. Give me courage to take those opportunities. Give me words to say during those opportunities. And then help me leave the rest up to you. That's the part we play. God's calling us to pray with our eyes wide open, to be aware that he's always working, always moving, and he's wanting us to be part of it. And so, you know, my prayer is this morning that all of us put our hands up and say those kind of prayers. It's an adventure, right? Go, following Jesus is an adventure. I don't mean that in a, a twee kind of way. It really is for an adventure. You're stepping into the unknown. What an exciting life to wake up every morning and go, God, what do you have planned for me today? Who are you going to bring into my life? Who's going to cross my path? And I'm going to have eyes to see. And I'm going to grab every opportunity. Let me just finish with this story. Uh, I read this story recently of a man called Tom who had to stay for a few days in an unfamiliar city. He ended up having lunch in a pretty rundown cafe in a not-so-great part of the city. And he noticed a group of women who were prostitutes 
sitting, chatting with one another. And he overheard one saying to the rest of the group, Oh, it's Agnes' birthday tomorrow. The next morning, he went to the cake shop and bought a beautiful birthday cake. And he asked them to inscribe it with the words, Happy Birthday, Agnes. When he went back to the cafe that evening, they were there. And he lit the candle, and he walked over, and he put the cake down in front of her. And she began to cry. And so he sat down, and he talked with her, and he explained that he wanted nothing from her, but that he had something to say to her. And he went on to explain about Jesus, about God's love, about Jesus being a gift from God for us. And then he prayed with her. And then he went on his way. And I was thinking about this story. I was thinking about Agnes. And I wonder if that very morning her pain had become so great and her desperation so great that she cried out to God in desperation. God, if you're real, then prove it. And I was thinking about Tom. And I wonder if he woke up that morning and said, God, use me today. Open a door. Make a way. And God opened the door. Tom saw the opportunity. And he seized it. Isn't it an incredible thought that we, with our eyes wide open, might be the answer to someone else's prayer? Why don't we stand?